Everybody, this is Eric Krasno, and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody that's been listening to the show, everyone out there that's been sharing the show with your friends. We really appreciate it. And we really appreciate if you guys go and subscribe at Apple Podcasts um, and leave a review and a comment. That really helps get the word out and helps us keep this whole thing going. I want to give a shout out to Osiris Media. They helped me put this show together. They have a lot of other great content that you can find at OsirisPod.com. All right, so it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Things have started to get somewhat back to normal in the music world. Uh, I've been able to get out and do a few shows. I went out to Florida and played the Sewanee Music Park for the Sewanee Rising Music Festival. This is one of my absolute favorite places to play music. Um, it's a beautiful spot. We've played there for many, many years. We used to do the Bear Creek Music Festival, the Wani Music Festival. Um, so many good times, and it felt so good to play in front of an audience and everyone was comfortable in their pods and social distant but at the same time um you know everyone was having a really good time and it did, I, I was hesitant to be honest um thinking that it would be weird to play to people in these pods but you know what it was it felt normal it felt great um so shout out to everyone that put that together paul levine and uh, that whole crew at Sewanee. Also have some really cool shows coming up. Uh, I have a new record coming out in September and uh, a new band uh, playing a lot of that music and a lot of other music from my catalog and the band's called Eric Krasno and The Assembly. We have our very first show at Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado on June 4th with the band Motet. And uh, actually, it's sold out so fast that we're adding more shows. We're actually playing Cervantes in Denver the following day on June 5th. So get your tickets for that because that's going to go fast because it's also a social distant uh, seated concert. But a lot of other shows coming up. Um, I'm going to be back in New York at the end of June booking some shows. And we're getting out there and playing again. So it feels good to uh, be back on the road and uh, playing shows again and planning shows. So uh, for more information on that, you can always keep up with me at erickrasno.com or on my Instagram at erickrasno. And follow the show. It's at krasplus1. We're always posting different clips from the show and different video. Also, I want to remind everybody that we're making the Spotify playlists uh, for each show. If you go to Spotify on your phone and you look at the details underneath the show, uh, show info, we have a playlist that I've put together with the artists and based on the conversation with the artists. So go check that out when you get a chance. All right, so today's guest is a young woman who's an incredible musician, an amazing songwriter, and I've been listening to her music so much in the past year. Uh, there's been three or four artists that I've discovered during this pandemic that have been on constant rotation, and she's at the top of that list. Her name is Madison Cunningham, and uh, she's not only a great singer-songwriter, but her guitar playing is really, really unique, and that's really a focal point uh, in the songs, which I really dig, and that was the first thing that kind of drew me in. She's only 25 years old. She's already been nominated for a Grammy and received a ton of accolades from uh, publications, but most importantly, other artists that she loves. You'll hear all sorts of influences in her music, but Joni Mitchell is a big one, along with Bob Dylan and the Beatles. And uh, we get into all this in the interview. I'm excited to get into it. First, we're gonna take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. All right, she's an amazing singer, songwriter, great guitarist, one of my favorite artists right now, and a Grammy nominee. I'd like to welcome today's plus one, Miss Madison Cunningham. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, this is this is an honor. Thank you for for thinking of me. Of course, of course. Um, I've been listening to your music so much in this past year. It's been like, it's funny because we had a baby in. Um, August 
And like ever since then, I've been, it's like right, right when I discovered your music, I, I'd heard of you mm-hmm. before that, but like our baby, it's so funny because our baby's only been like six, been around six months, but there's like three or four albums, you know, that have, he's like been immersed in. So anyway, that yours, yeah. your music has been, has been in our house a lot as he's been kind of, his senses have been developing and stuff. But what a, what a way to, to enter the world to just just hear music right away. You know, like yeah, I bet that'll, yeah. that'll translate to, to something down the road for him or her. Isn't yeah, it? it's, it's him. It's him, Lewis. But, uh, and, you know, right when we, he was born, I was told, you know, play Mozart and there's specific, specific Mozart pieces that, you know, and who knows, you know, where this, where this came from. It was really, my dad was like, yeah, we used to play Mozart for you and you'd like, your senses would go crazy. And when I mm-hmm. started walking with him and playing Mozart, we know, cause whenever he'd be fussing or crying, I put that music on and, uh, he would totally wow. relax. And, um, yeah, it was, it was so super soothing for him, but yeah, I, I'm so curious how that will develop for him. And he has all, he always has instruments around and he's like always playing with them. So, and you grew up in Orange County, right? Yes. And that's where I'm at right now in okay. Costa Mesa. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. It's such an interesting, like, kind of just it's it feels like a very small little town you know like and orange county is so big in itself but like from each city in orange county is like it just feels like a completely different you know patch on the quilt right you know like it's just like it's totally different like and then santa Ana's right next door and uh we grew up going there every once in a while but like everyone just kind of stayed in their little hub it was like if you're born in costa mesa then you kind of stayed there and anything that you could possibly need was within a mile radius you know right right so um but yeah i i uh kept going north like i was born in san diego then we moved to Orange County, and then I live in LA now. So I'm right. like, maybe I'll maybe I'll end up in San Francisco <laughs> in right. the next couple of years. I don't know. Yeah, just keep moving north. Um, and your your father is a pastor, right? And and is, he's also a musician of sorts. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He's a pastor. Um, he kind of he founded a school that he now runs in Orange County, which is connected through the church that he's been at for the last 20 years. He, he wears all those hats. So is that your, your initial like introduction to music through, through him and, and the church? And did you play music in church together? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, my first introduction to music was him playing in, in you know, in the living room with his acoustic guitar. And I, I, my, he says that like, I was very, uh, intrigued by the guitar. Like right, I just right. always wanted to like touch it and try and play it and you know and fail at it or <laughs> um but yeah he um and then kind of i was homeschooled so i right. i you know could sit at home and chill with a guitar all day and before he would leave for work he would like teach me a, a new chord and so i would just sit in my room before you know i had to start school and just try and figure out like where the shapes sort of connected and like how i could play this chord and how you could make the chord sound different. And yeah. it was so exciting to me, you know, as, as a seven-year-old. And then eventually as I got older, he kind of started to pull me up on stage with him and, you know, he'd have me play guitar and sing. And he was the first person who like, who challenged me to try them both at the same time, Right. which right. Um, I think otherwise, I don't know if I would have necessarily done that, you know, thanks to him. I, I was so afraid to be, on stage and in front of people. And um, really? I probably would have never found myself there. No way, no way. I hated it, hated it. Um, but he just kept like gently pushing me and kind of believing quietly that I was supposed to in some way do that. And uh, I-, I was definitely the doubter. I-, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like it. Really? That's surprising from, from listening to you. Yeah. It's been a long journey of learning how to love that side of it. Cause I always yeah. loved music. Right. Like that was so exciting and thrilling to me, but I loved music in my bedroom. Like right. I didn't think anyone would listen, you know? <laughs> and at that point in your life, what were you listening to? What was like, you know, what were, what was your, what was your dad playing? You know, what, what was he, was he, was it mostly, you know, Christian music or was it all over the map? 
it was totally, yeah, mainly Christian music, yeah. which is so funny. Like, and you know, my dad was well versed in musical catalog, but he just didn't play like the Beatles or he didn't play like, I, I didn't hear the Beach Boys or the Beatles or right. Joni Mitchell or any of those people until like, you know, till I was probably in the middle of high school, which right. is just crazy. But, but, but I always, the way I've kind of like, you know, I, I was angry at one point because I was like, how could you not introduce me to these people? And, and, um, I joke with him about that. And, and as I've looked back on it, I've realized like, oh, it actually in a way was very sweet that I, I didn't have those like musical figures to shadow over what was exciting to me. It was like, I didn't have anyone that I was necessarily trying to aspire to be. I just right. got to come into music and enjoy it for what it was and just right. pick it apart and discover it that way. And that was, I mean, that was special looking yeah. back on it, you know, like yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that. And my moments coming in the moment that I, I heard Joni and the Beatles, like I have vivid memories of when that happened and that's special, you know, like I'll never right. forget those moments. And how did you discover the Beatles and Joni? Was that something that you totally found on your own? Did you have friends introducing you to those records? Friends. I, cause I had started like with Joni, I'd started playing in open tunings. A friend had kind of turned me onto that. And so I just started getting very, very into that. Mm -hmm. And uh, a friend was kind of like, have you ever heard of, you know, the queen of open tunings? And I was yeah. like, nope, <laughs> tell me. And I, yeah, I was just, I was so blown away and couldn't, couldn't get enough. It was like candy. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Going in and sneaking more out of the jar, you know. And the Beatles, is the same. It was like all recommendations from friends that I had discovered these musical icons and people that would forever change my journey as a musician and artist and songwriter and all those things. But yeah, I had I listened to the Beatles the day that I graduated high school for the first time. Really? Yes. Wow. And did it completely yes. blow your mind? Yeah, because I had known the Beatles. Like I had, you know, I had heard them through speakers, like at a yeah. restaurant or a retail store or like I, it was in my life, but it wasn't like, it wasn't any, it wasn't physically in my life where I would like put on a record and go, I know who I'm listening to. It was just sort of this like dreamy w awareness of it, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Yeah. So that moment of listening to come together for the first time, cause I put in Abbey road. I just yeah. was like, I can't even believe that this is real and that this is them. I thought I dreamt this song. Right. That's <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I realized like, Oh, it's, yeah, to put to put the name to the song was just crazy. Is that your favorite Beatles album, Abbey Road? Oh, I'm very attached to that one. Yeah. But but Rubber Soul for me, I mean the White Album as well. Like all three of those are are you know in, in a close race. Yeah. I mean I don't know if I could choose. There's just like so many good songs on each one. That it, it, yeah, the Beatles are a hard one. I feel like you can't really pick a favorite. I, I have a similar thing with Abbey Road because my mom had that tape, you know, I mean, back in my day, it was, it was tapes, but you had certain tapes in the car, you know, and my yeah. mom, like, so when that album comes on, I like think about my mom and this like old van that she had. And I like, think about that. It like literally brings me right there again, mm. which is wow. a, such a, so yeah, I have an attachment to that one because of how much we listen to it. And I mean, there's iconic songs in that record too, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. like ones that are just pillars. Yeah, and the production not only was so different for the time, but it still is so creative and still so interesting. To me. They, they blow my mind because, and I mean, I'm sure this could be a, a subject matter for another time because yeah. there's so much to unpack, but what blows my mind about it is that it's so relevant. Like, it was so progressive for its time, but it's still something that I would as I'm recording or writing would, would reference and yeah. look back to. Yeah. And I just, that to make something like, I, I don't know if artists were so lucky in the eighties. Like, I don't know if people are necessarily, I mean, with certain things I'm sure like, but I'm not necessarily referencing like records from the eighties and going, I want to sound like this, you know, like it, yeah. it's pretty, <laughs> it's true. pretty easily dated, you know, yeah, but like, yeah. The Beatles caught on to something and created something that was very, I mean, timeless is the word. Yeah, timeless. That's the word. Well, it's hard to be progressive and timeless at the same time because you don't know what you're stepping into. Like, that's totally. the thing about the 80s that they stepped into some things that were like, oh, maybe that wasn't the best call. I mean, at the time, right. they were using new technologies and trying new things. And I think there's are things in the 80s that are cool, but I think it's more the songwriting 
than the production. That is exciting, you know, within itself to listen to because you're like, you're literally listening to someone discovering something. Yeah. And that's what the 80s is to me when I, when I hear that music. Like, I mean, there was still so, Michael Jackson was killing it and, yeah, yeah. and so many other people that, that, created timeless records that true true you know will never fade but um yeah it's just so interesting to exactly you don't know what you're stepping into yeah. and you don't know what risk you're you're taking right you just you just know that you're enjoying it for the moment you don't know if you're gonna hate it in 10 years <laughs> this is true do you reference um when you're writing or making a record do you do you reference other songs a lot or or pull up things for inspiration I did at the at the beginning of working with Tyler Chester, who I've I've worked with on every record now. Um, I did a lot of that because I just you know when you're building a relationship with a producer, you're trying to communicate in terms that would be understood by them, you know, right, or that right. they could go, oh, I know what you're saying, yeah, and not using this very vague images that you're trying to right. <laughs> trying to describe what you want to hear. Um, so I'll do that every once in a while now about specific things. But when I'm creating music, I try to not listen to, to too much music because it's very easy for me to get like pulled in a million different directions and go, oh, I, I want to do this or I want to do this. And mm -hmm. um, it's easy to start sliding into like maybe copying right. something instead of creating something. I often will try to zone in on a singular thing about a recording at times where I'll be like, oh, it'd be really cool to get like this percussion sound or like this reverb yeah. that's on this or, or totally. the feeling of this bridge. But yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to copy. That's for sure. I totally agree with you though. I, I mean, we do that all the time. It's yeah, very much yeah. like you have to have your roadmap. You have to have your, your, your guides of like, this is what I hope that this is trying to be or like, yeah is is you know shooting for i think is is you have to have your little references i think yeah you mentioned earlier learning uh, how to play guitar and sing at the same time and one of the things that's been like so impressive to me is uh i listened to your records and then started watching some videos because i was like okay is she playing all of this live because i love like the guitar playing in this in your music you know specifically pin it down was one where i was like oh man that riff is so cool it was one of those like you know wish you had done it things i was like oh man i i want that riff you know <laughs> uh, but then i was like is she playing that and singing that and i looked it up and you were doing it like flawlessly and mm -hmm. I, I was curious if that was like kind of a rabbit hole you went down like all right i really need that the independence to be able mm. to sing cuz you know for me when if i'm singing and playing guitar one of them is is one of them unfortunately is being sacrificed for the betterment <laughs> of the other you know how did you how did you get there with that independence that's a that's a great question um i think it starts the conception of that idea starts at wanting songs to feel mobile meaning that you can you know take take it from your bedroom and you can take it on the road and you don't necessarily need every instrument on the stage to make the song sing. Mm. If that makes any sense. Oh, it makes total sense. In fact, okay, I do, that's like a, an issue that I'm always dealing with. It's like, I want yeah. all the things from the album, you know? Totally. But, and I yeah. can't tell how much I'm obsessing over that idea yeah. or how much of that is like actually very necessary and helpful for live performance. Cause I think, that idea kind of started to infiltrate into my writing when I started playing live. Cause it was yeah. like, I couldn't afford to have a band at everything. And I would start, but I was also like in, in a heavy writing phase. So I would just go like, how can I incorporate like bass drums and melody? And then like a, a top line for a vocal to sing, and, you know, like in the same song, that would be super interesting and fun to play hard to play. I just, I like wanted sort of a challenge, I guess. So with pin it down, I was trying to figure out how to how to play like two counter melodies. Yeah. One with my fingers and one above and to make it sound flawless and not like, whoa, she's trying to do something hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um so that just took I mean, we that that whole recording was a live take that we did um out at Sonic Ranch like two years ago and we had had a really bad day that day and could not figure out this one song that we ended up having to record later. And then we recorded that one afterwards and it was just, it came together kind of miraculously, but, um, and very last minute, but, uh, I had just spent like 
the whole summer writing and practicing it. Mm. So I tried to get the feeling right with singing it at the same time. So it was definitely, that whole record was a deep rabbit hole of that, of me just trying to find things that would work together that I could sing live, perform live, all those things. Because that's how we were recording. And so that that actual version is fully live. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, because I, 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 when I watched you perform it, um, I, there's a video of you playing it, I think with Tyler and, and Abe on drums, right? Yeah, yeah, And exactly. I, was, I was like, it sounds like the record. <laughs> and I was like, it's, it's um, but yeah, that's, that's amazing because that I was, when I first heard that, that was like, of course the other, the musician, like my, my wife's just going, oh, this is great. And I'm going, is she doing this live? Is I'm like, <laughs> the classic like musician thing? I'm like, is this happening at the same time? I need to find out. You um, can't enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> you have yeah. to know. I'm like, it's amazing, but I have to know. Uh, but yes, yeah, such a great performance. And that whole record has, like I said, been listening to it um, um, constantly. And so were you thinking about that at a pretty young age? Were you always kind of performing solo and accompanying yourself? Was that always your thing? It wasn't necessarily my thing to perform solo, but I enjoyed, I guess, the the rabbit hole of harmony and counter melody. Because I, I, I didn't totally understand theory. Like I didn't, that never really resonated with me, like on paper. Gotcha. Um, so discuss- I loved talking with people who did understand because I could bring things to them and they could tell me what it was that I was doing. But I'd kind of made a conscious effort to, to stay in the dark because I realized that it was a, it was a, I guess a, a strength to, to stay a little bit lost and not know where you were breaking the rules. Because then you don't feel like you're breaking rules. You're just like, this felt right and I'm going to follow that sort of thing. And I, I'm one of those people that I don't necessarily love to be the bad person and break the rules. So if I know that, I, if I don't know, you don't know, and I'm ignorant. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, the so, ignorant bliss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. interesting because yeah, I, I, you know, I do have some, you know, I went to music school at various times, but I definitely am mostly self-taught. But I do find that, you know, when you're trying to stay in the diatonics of this key and whatever, it can put you in a box. Mm-hmm that makes your music more predictable, you know, mm-hmm. and someone like Joni Mitchell, who I know is a major influence on you. Yeah. I mean, she was, you know, open tunings, so many things that were like, not right per se, but yeah. that's what made her writing style, you know, so unique and her sing, I mean, everything about her. I watched this interview with her cause she's, she's so incredible in interviews. She's so eloquent and just like, she's so articulate. Um, but she was, she was talking about how one of her friends was saying, you can't play three sus chords in a row. And she was like, yeah, I can because they're chords of inquiry. And I have so many questions in my life. And, right. <laughs> and right. I love that. It's like, it's as simple as that. It's like, it doesn't have to, to be perfect. I don't, you know, I don't care what the professor says. Like, yeah, this is, this is how it's, it makes sense to me. And somehow maybe it'll make sense to other people too. If they hear it and the, and the, and the feeling and the tone is right, then you can kind of get away with anything. But I just, I love that idea as a principle of like, yeah, I can yeah. <laughs> like these chords match my life and they match what is like what I'm, what I'm trying to say or what, you know, what I'm asking or working through or all those sort of things. I love that. Do you remember um, your first song that you wrote? I try to forget it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those, huh? It's one of those. Yeah, I was uh, allegedly five. Wow. Allegedly five. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I remember some of my other songs going into like ages 10 and 12. I still have this journal of like it from the beginning, like I loved guitar and I loved singing, but they never were like separate ideas, like mm. songwriting, singing, guitar. They were always like one, one function, one mode. And I think as I got older, I started picking the pieces apart a little more to understand them individually a little bit better, and to better and to better the 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 unit. So writing words started pretty early for you. Pretty early, yeah. I mean, I they're very bad words. I, I can't emphasize that <laughs> enough. Like. They, <laughs> I was no lyricist, no genius at all. All that I think was, 
I'd gotten far more obsessed with songwriting as time went on. And I had, I again, been introduced to just some, some of the greats who really, you could just tell it's like that, that's where their hard work lies is, is in the lyricism and lyrics were like kind of a negotiable for me because I was so musically driven and melodically driven. And then as time went on, it was like, I want to write a phrase or, or lyrics that people can remember and hold on to ones that people would maybe want to like write down or tattoo or whatever. Like that, that ended up becoming my goal. And that became a non-negotiable of like, I, those, that is of uttermost importance to to me. And do you have a song, a song, or maybe even just an artist that kind of flipped a switch for you in terms of songwriting? Elliot Smith was a huge one for me. Gosh, John Lennon. I, I, I just love his writing. Joni, yeah. of course, I, I could go on about her, but yeah. Dylan, I know there's so many that I'm, I mean, Fiona Apple, Rufus Wainwright, like oh, all yeah. of those people, when, when they came into my life, it was just like, you, you can do, you can literally say whatever you want. Like yeah. you could talk about anything. And I, I, that realm of possibility gave me permission to just like explore that. And then I, I started getting into like, there's this Berkeley professor, Pat Pattinson. He's, okay. you know, a writing professor. Yeah. And um, he just basically wrote this book called How to Write Better Lyrics. I I've, yeah, I know that book. and yeah, You do? I've you used, must. Yeah. You must. Yeah. I'm super into that book. And like, do I just doing those exercises for a while. And Oh my goodness. It changed my life. It yeah. really did. Because yeah. it just, it, de- it, it broadened everything. And, and even just like in his, fo- just the way that he introed the book, I was like, oh my God, you can write like that? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's insane. So those little you know, sort of lights kind of, kind of flickered on when, um, when those sort of books or artists were kind of put in my lap. Like I just, everything kind of started to expand for, for me. Right. Right. And so some of those, some of the songs from that time period, do you still play any of them or a part of your, um, repertoire? Oh, 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 you mean like the ones that I wrote or the yeah. ones that I discovered? Oh, no, the ones to? that you wrote, the ones that you wrote early on. <laughs> you know what? No, um, no, they're not really. I don't know. It feels like of such a different time yeah, for yeah. me at, at that point. And, and what I was writing about feels so different to what I would maybe say now. Yeah, maybe maybe I ditch songs too easily. I don't know. I feel like I always do that. Like a record cycle comes and then I ditch all of the songs from the record and I want to play the new songs, you know, and course, yeah. ma- maybe I need to go back and dig up some of those 10 year old songs and bring them back. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's time. It's, it's I, you know, once you give it a certain amount of time, it'll feel fresh again. I don't but. know if those songs could ever feel fresh. I don't think even time <laughs> could heal that. I, that's what I've decided <laughs> right now. So I'm curious about how you connected with, with Tyler Chester. He's someone. So also my, another quarantine album in my house is the Mar- Margaret Glasby's album. Oh, and, the new one? Yeah, uh, the one, yeah, Devotion. So I guess that was yeah. re- pretty recent. Um, yeah. But I discovered that record through a friend of mine, and then I discovered your music through another friend of mine. And those were like two in like constant rotation at my house. And then I discovered that he was the guy, he was connected to both. So now I've been like, yeah. okay, who is, cause I didn't know, I didn't know his name before that, which is kind of weird. Cause now I'm looking at all yeah. the other things that he's done. I'm like, oh, I love this and I love that. So yeah. anyway, curious um, how you connected with him and um, how you got, you know, like what your kind of creative process is like. Now looking back on it, it was kind of a miracle the way that we got um, connected because he my dad had known of him. He was he was in similar circles at that time in his life. Before I think he had really moved out to LA and started like really producing. My dad knew that I had these songs and was like, I think we should hire someone or like we should raise money to have someone like capture these songs in like a way that you want them to be done. Um, and so we had through different sources had gotten Tyler's name thrown at us and my dad was like, oh, I think I know that guy. Like, I I could reach out, like, just kind of give him a cold call. And he did. And, and, you know, and I think the way it looked to Tyler at the time was like, hey, I'm a pastor and I have a daughter who has these songs. Could you produce <laughs> yeah. her? And he was like, oh, I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to be my jam. So he yeah. just, he like avoided it. Then we ran into him at the NAMM show of all things. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which neither one of us really 
have ever gone since that time, which was back in like 2012 or like 13 or something. Okay. Ran into each other and my dad was like, hey, this is Maddie, my daughter. And I was so mortified. It just was so awkward because I was like, dad, don't, don't, you don't need to plug me. This is very embarrassing. All to say the stars aligned. And a couple weeks later, I would meet with Tyler and show him songs. And it just was kind of an immediate, like, I think he understood it. And I really felt comfortable with him. Right. It was just like this very immediate thing that happened where I was, I was such a nervous kid, truly that, and nervous to show people my songs that after, you know, after I left, I was like, dad, I think like, I felt like that went really well. And I felt really comfortable. And he was like, good. I, that's great. Let's see if he's into it. I don't know. Um, all I'd say, we make a whole record together, like, you know, a couple months before I'm about to graduate high school. And he's the one who gave me Abbey Road for my, for my high school graduation present. A- after that, I was like, okay, well, that was a dream come true. I bet I'm never going to like talk to him again. I just, it was just such an honor. I'd looked up to him and all the things that he'd done and people he'd worked with. And, uh, he kind of reached back out again and was like, Hey, if you have any other songs, I would love to produce you. And if, um, you don't have money. Don't worry about it. I just, I want to help you basically. Like I just, just pay me when you can and let's, let's work on an EP or something together. I was just, I was so stunned by that. Cause I, I really thought like, Oh, this was, this was a one and done sort of, sort of a deal. And so I like took that challenge to write more songs and had some other songs that I'd been working on and showed it to him. And then we recorded a whole other EP called love, lose, remember. Then that sort of um, ended up, getting me signed to a label and then Tyler and I've just worked together since, since then. And it, the, the, the relationship has evolved. The working relationship I should say has evolved over, over time. Like it was at the beginning, it was very much me just saying like, here are my songs, do what you want with them. Like, I don't care. You know, like, like I'll do anything you say then to like a bit more of like dialogue then to like, you know, him fully producing my last record, and being very involved in the songwriting and editing to now this record that we're working on, we're both producing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's been really fun to like see that sort of evolution happen and, and, and for me to get to the place where I feel comfortable enough to co-produce something of right. my own, you know, right, right. and it's all credit to him constantly just like giving me the wheel and yeah. going, you try, you try, you try. And, um, I'd, I'd never met any, like without meeting him, I don't think I would have met anyone else or would have yeah. even put out a record. Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> I, yeah. It's truly like, truly, uh, that's why I call it a miracle. Like it just felt so, um, so happenstance and out of the blue and, but so, um, integral to, to, I think where the songs have come today and, and where I'm at today. We'll be right back after this short break. What about, you know, performing? I know that you you say that you you were very nervous um, in the beginning and how did that evolve? Because obviously now watching you perform, you know, I have, as soon as I can see you live when things go back to normal, I can't wait, but I've been watching videos and um, you know, obviously don't seem nervous to me. And so what has that evolution been like for you in terms of like becoming more comfortable on stage Mm -hmm. and as a, as a performer? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I just had to come to grips with the fact that I was never going to be good enough to perform before I started performing, if that makes sense. Of course, yeah. The only way through was to just botch it at certain moments. You have and, to and fall a few times. It's just inevitable. You just do. You just do. Yeah. And, and you have to have a good sense of like humor about yourself, which I struggle with. Like, I... I'm a perfectionist and I want things to be great. And, and they're just not always like you just have your moments of falling off the horse and you will yeah. over and over again for the rest of your life, you know? But I think for me, I just realized like, Oh, the more that I practice at this, 
I do see improvement. Yeah. So everything is practice. And I, and if I can commit to this, this amount of practice, then I, I, I think I can do it. And if I can yeah. commit to the failure, yeah. then I can do it. Right. Um, so kind of seeing the failure as like a veil or a screen to like the outdoors and not like an end or a death to something that you're doing, I think was what helped me. I think that that's interesting that you say committing to the failure, because I think that is part of it is that the failures get less because you're always going to fail, like you said, but they get a little less um, extreme <laughs> as you do and they it mean more less. and more. And they mean less, right? That's, yeah. that's a huge thing is that you totally. just are like, oh, you, 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 you don't, you know, focus on it as much as the more you do it. And it's just part, yeah. of, part of the thing. You know, I know for me, like sometimes, and this goes back to you saying, you know, okay, we're going to make this record and it makes you like get your thing together and it makes you pull these songs together. Sometimes for yeah. me, it's like, oh, I have to like book this show or book this tour or whatever it is. And then that makes me do the work, you know, and makes me totally. get ready. And every time I do a new one, there, it's like you said, you know, you get ready for it and you always have missteps, but they're a little bit less sometimes as long as it's, the commitment is really, um, number one. I think that's, that's huge. Um, totally. Yeah. And it, it, it's not a fun lesson to learn. And I, I don't love failing, but you, you, you almost like you have these friends around you, hopefully in the best case scenario where you mess up, you can go get a drink afterwards and have fun with your friends and laugh <laughs> yeah, about it. You know, yeah, like that, yeah. that's how it should be. And someone said to me once, they were like, I was so nervous for something. And they were like, it's just music. It's just yeah. music. Like, and really when you, when you break it down, that's all it is. And, yeah. and it it's like the, the, the monster or the shadow is like, you see like the, the hand behind it or something. And you're like, Oh, that's actually just a shadow, right? you know, made by hand. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. all it is. That's you know? true. I'm learning that all the time and learning to, to be friendly with, with, you know, disaster and failure right. you know? and be kind to yourself. Yeah. And you react with it. It's really how you react to it is everything almost. Cause if you, yeah. cause honestly in a performance um, it's all, it's like really endearing to watch someone mess up, you know, especially if they yeah. mess up and they kind of laugh and they go, Oh, cause then it also makes it feel real. It's like, okay, I'm experiencing some, seeing something really real and it makes you really like the person. It's like you can totally. relate to some, no one is ever perfect. No, so. I, I mean, I, I've seen some of my favorite people ever just, just like tank it. And yeah. the reason they're also my, my favorite people is because it's like just watching them gracefully handle something like that and mm. turn an awkward klutzy moment like that into like a very like comedic moment. Like, yeah is so endearing and like that would stick with me more than a flawless uh, performance because i just yeah. again like you just said it's so it's so human like i my friend um andrew bird we, we all were touring with him uh last or two octobers ago now and he would like forget lyrics every night yeah. every night and everyone ate it up like yeah, they were yeah. just especially all of his 20 year old you know, 20 year long fans yeah, yeah, yeah. who had just been watching his career and they finally saw him tank it. And it was so exciting and so funny. And, and then I've noticed as nights would go on, he would do it on purpose because he knew yeah. that that gave people a souvenir yeah, to, to walk away with. That's true. So I loved that. Yeah. I love that too. And I love the, I mean, I think as, as time goes on, I've, I've played with, uh, Phil Lesh from the Grateful Dead, a very, I tour yeah. with him sometimes and he wants mistake. He wants every night to be different. He wants mm. you to take chances. Like if you don't ever make mistakes with him, you're doing it wrong. You know well, what I mean? And he, and I, it took me a while to understand that. And then I realized that the whole concept of like the fan base behind the, the that band is like, they want to see the whole thing. They want to see like, you forget the lyrics. They want you to see that. They want to see this epic jam that goes to a place that's never been before, but that's <laughs> right. like why they come every night to all these different shows. And I'm sure that's the same with like people like Andrew Bird that have like these hardcore fans. They want that night to be its own night. They want it to be its own experience. Exactly. Exactly. And, and what's cool about someone like Andrew too, is like, he never needed to talk about it. 
afterwards. He right. never needed to like unload because uh, it was like he just released it the second that it went off or yeah. it happened. It was yeah. like that is for the audience, and you can have this coat too. And you know, it's, it's like that kind of a thing. And I, I just, that. yeah, I, I, I think that's a really healthy place to be. And we all, as people who are hoping to do this for a long time, have to set ourselves up in a really healthy way and a health in, in, in a healthy light about ourselves right. and who we are, and you know and what it is that we're doing and that the world is huge and we're just a very small piece of that. I think that's important <laughs> too. Well, it sounds like you've had some incredible mentors and people that you've worked with. I, obviously Tyler, Andrew Bird, and then also Chris Teeley, who yeah. you've toured with and played with. How did you link with him and what was that experience like? Yeah, I had um, signed uh, with my label and I had in doing that signed with a manager who was also Chris's manager. And he, th the first thing that, um, Aaron, my manager set us up to do is he was like, Chris has this, this radio show and he is looking for a duet partner. Would you, would you be into doing that? And I was like trying to play it cool, but I was like, absolutely. I would love to do that. And yeah. he was like, do you know how to sing harmony? And I was like, yes, and I, I, I know how to sing harmony. And, and so he connect, he connected us and it, I met Chris in rehearsal in uh, St. Paul at mm -hmm. the Fitzgerald Theater, I think. And I don't know if you know anything about that show or if you've played on it, you might have, I'm not sure, but it is so intense, like the most musically intense. I mean, yeah. you know, if you know anything about Chris, that yeah. should tell you about the show. Like, yeah. Yeah. he's a mad genius and could work and work and work all day yeah, to yeah, perfection yeah. Like, yeah. and never fall apart. It's incredible. So I knew that going into it and I was so, I didn't sleep probably three nights before. Like I, cause every night I would just be up again, just like trying to practice and trying to figure out these right. songs. Cause he gave me opera song. Well, I forget what it was called, but it was so demanding and so hard. And then he gave me an Esperanza Spalding song, just so hard and so demanding. Like just every song that he had assigned, I was like, I, he's never really like heard me. Yeah. I don't know if he, like, I don't know if I know if I can do this. I don't think he wow. knows. So, um, I showed up and we met and it just, it worked somehow. And I did the show 25 more times with him. Wow. Yeah. And, and that then was all in St. Paul, right? They do. They all, or, or did he, cause does he tour that or it's, it's all, all there, right? It, it used to be all there. And yeah. then they would, that was like the home you know, the mothership, yeah. but then they would rotate. They would go to like, you know, Virginia or, right. or Lincoln, Nebraska, or like they would switch it up. Yeah. I know about the show most, you know, one of my really close friends is Emily King, you know, the singer oh, and she, she's, she's actually awesome. staying at the, the house right now at my house. What? Right now. Yeah. Tell her hi. I will. I will. I think I told her that I was talking to you. She's like, Oh, I love her. Um, oh my but goodness. she was preparing for it when I was in staying with her, her producer produced my last record, Jay most. And, and she's on the record. Anyway, when we were working on the record, wow. she was preparing to go to St. Paul to do it. And she had a similar, she was like, I gotta learn these songs. And I'm doing these, this stuff. And Oh my God. Um, but I've listened. And then I actually listened to this morning, you doing, um, dreams, Stevie Nicks, uh, the Fleetwood Mac. That's song. right. I loved that. That sounded so good with his band too. There here you go again. You say you want your freedom. Where who am I to keep you down? It's only right that you should play the way you feel. Listen carefully. so fun i mean it was like it was like we covered so many songs it was like a glorified tribute band you know like it it was yeah it was crazy it was so intense to learn so many different genres you know but it was so musically um stimulating and i i feel like there i as a singer had to make was forced to make leaps because i I had no business singing an Aretha Franklin song, but I was on the gig and I was the only person to do that. So I had to figure out how to make that work yeah. with my, with my voice. And, um, 
it, yeah, I, I just love, I could not say good or enough good things about Chris. He was, he was such a delight still is. And we, 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 we talk still and I got to tour for his band, the punch brothers and open for them. Oh, cool. Uh, cool. Which was fun. Yeah. That must've been such a cool challenge. I mean, I know like the times when I go into those things where I'm super nervous and have to learn music that I don't think I can pull off. It's always, I come away with it, like thankful for the experience, even though I'm, maybe I wouldn't put myself <laughs> through it again. Yeah, you totally. Know, it's definitely like, oh, well, I'm glad I learned that stuff. Oh, and I mean, when I've done the Grateful Dead stuff too, I, he's like, okay, and he'll he'll give us like 80 songs to learn in a few days. Oh. And then, <laughs> you know, and then I'm singing Jerry Garcia song when he's like, I'm like, down, my voice is down here and I'm singing, trying to sing way up here. And then like to the fans that have know every word to every song and I'm trying to read it and trying to make it feel natural. You and can't I, mess up, oh right? My God, it's so, but then I come away with it like, oh, you know, I actually like could sing that. Like I actually, it yeah. makes me realize like, oh, maybe I actually could start trying to go a little bit higher or trying yeah. to do something a little bit different. Did you have that experience with Chris, like, oh, maybe I could pull off an Aretha song if it's done like this or, you know. Totally. You walk away with, with this, like, a little bit more confidence in yourself and a, yeah. and, a, and, a, and a want to try things that you probably otherwise would have been like, nah, I'm not touching that. Yeah. I'm not going near that thing. And he was just so open. He never made you feel like, oh, you're singing Aretha? Poor Aretha. Right. Kinda, you know, right. like, it was like. No, you do your version. Yeah. And because that's like, you know, we're going to pay tribute to her tonight because it's her birthday week and this is the birthday segment. So don't worry. Like, he just never put a trip because yeah. he was doing things he was insecure about all yeah. the time. Yeah. Like, he would, you know, there's certain songs that he would sing and be like, oh, my voice just doesn't do that. And we would yeah. all be like, no, you've got it. It was just this very, like, it was such a high pressure gig, but like, he had a way of making you never feel the pressure. Yeah. Like he, he never put that on anyone. He, you know, if he felt it, he was putting it all on himself. Um, but he was never self-deprecating either in a way that was like, look at me, yeah. pay attention to me. And it, it was so incredible. What a, what a great and rare environment, you know, to yeah. be in. Wow. Cool experience. So then when you opened for the Punch Brothers, what, what is your band lineup? Well, I guess not nothing right now, but previous to mm. to lockdown, what kind of lineup do you tour with? It's usually just a trio. Yeah. It'll just be me, bass, um, and drum and drums. So yeah. that might change. Um, maybe there will be a fourth person that will be added at some point, but yeah, it's just been easy to tour that way. Cool. And your last full-length album nominated for a Grammy. Were you? Yeah. What was that experience like when you got the call or the notification or the text or whatever? I had made up my mission that morning to sleep in. So, but I just kept getting all these calls, and I was like, I know I didn't set my alarm. Like, so I just kept like shutting them off and like going to bed, and finally, like they just kept, you know, re relenting or they wouldn't relent, and so I, I answered, and I just. There was no way we could have predicted that. Like we seriously had it in our minds that like we were lucky if anyone paid attention at all yeah. to the record. So we we were just like, yeah, we were floored. We were pretty grateful. Amazing. And that was, yeah, so that one you actually got to go, right? Yeah, because that was just before everything shut down. Yeah, we got to go. What was that experience like for you? I think it kind of opened up some things for me in regards to... The Grammys, I think I, I walked away feeling a little bit more like, I don't know how seriously I take it. Yeah. I, I think this is what it was. I walked away feeling like, I don't like the concept that someone is saying, this is more valuable than this. Right. And this deserves to win and this doesn't. You know, and, and I, I just don't think that that's fair. I, when I was sitting there, I was thinking about all of the great records that were made that, that year that weren't even considered. Yeah, I had the exact same, you know, thing. I've only actually gone twice, but, and the second time I was definitely like, I don't think, I, and you know, to be honest, we left 
you know, we didn't win that year. It was a little strange to me. I mean, I love the celebration and I love like, and I like seeing a lot of my friends like get nominated. It's like, it's one of those things where you always want to get nominated, but I also don't really like hold much belief in it. You know what I mean? I'm kind of like, I feel the same way. There's so many records that come out that don't get nominated that to me are like, totally game changers, you know? I'm always excited when something I really love gets nominated because it's like, oh, okay, there is some good. <laughs> there is some good happening totally. here. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, what's the saying? It's like the Grammys are stupid until you're nominated, you know, right, and then right. it matters. But yeah. but really, like, even sitting there, it, it, as it was going down, it was just kind of like, hmm, I'm, I'm noting this for the future. Like, I don't ever want to make anything that strives to earn this. Yeah, yeah. Right, like I, right. I just, I want, I want something beyond this. Cause up, up until that point, I had had this whole expectation of like, that is the end goal. And when you're yeah. nominated, everyone knows who you are. And yeah. like, and I had gone to a couple, um, pre Grammy shows that was a very humble reminder of like, this is not what this is at all. Like yeah. I was, I was getting people like giving me their drinks or thinking like I was the waiter. Cause I was in black, you know, yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. And yeah. it's like, I don't really care. Like I shouldn't have so much stake in this yeah. for my worth and for, um, so that was a, a really, really good, good eye opening thing for me and for, for my childhood dreams. And I mean, for one, as a kid, I never thought that I would ever be sitting in that stadium as a contender, you know? I mean, I also think it's changed a bit and maybe that's just me kind of like, glorifying the past a little bit, but you know, in the, or in the seventies when it was like Paul Simon and Stevie wonder and the oh, Fleetwood Mac and you know, every year, like those best albums were, were the best, like, those are like the best albums still, you know? It's so true. But now yeah. it's like, really? Was that? Yeah, I know. I know. Was I it? look at it now and it's a little bit more of a popularity contest at this point, to be totally yeah. honest. Or like, and well now so many people with the labels are inside the thing, you know, and paying it's all, for it. Yeah. And paying for it. So I had one moment that I've never like talked about necessarily, but like where I was playing at this comedy club that you probably know, um, Largo. Yeah. And Jackson Brown was there and he came up and was like, I just wanted to congratulate you on, on uh, the Grammy. That's a big feat. And I was like, oh, thank you. And then someone was standing there and they said, have you ever won one? And he goes, nope. What? Never won one. And I seriously, the, then after that, I was yeah. like, this is all a joke. Yeah. How have you never, won, never one? won one? Wow. Crazy. Nope. He's been nominated like over 20 times. Never yeah. won. Yeah. So, well, the funny thing is like, Two of the people that I played with a lot, the the Grateful Dead guys and the the Meters, and neither of them won actual Grammys, but both I think got. Well, I know the Meters got Lifetime Achievement Awards, but it's kind of crazy how like you're not appreciated when you're making these records and you're doing all the, you know, and then, you know, maybe eventually you're, you're, you're noted, but yeah, there's a lot yeah. of people that have never been nominated. There's that are, or, or one that are some of the, you know, the, are the greatest artists of our time. So, totally. yeah, I agree. However, I think it can be, and it can be a really great boost for your career and like the awareness. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's all, it always depends, but um, especially as a it young does. artist, it's 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 cool to be put on that platform and people to to see who you are, you know. Totally. Again, it was like it was such a mixed bag. Like I think ultimately, I was so immensely flattered and shocked because there was that we hadn't. You know, I, I think a lot of people, or the way it works is like you can you can enter your name into a hat, you know, right. and basically, and see if the academy will pick it up and see if pay attention to it or listen to it yeah. and we didn't do that like I had gotten you know I, I actually had a conversation with someone from my label that was like we're not gonna enter this because it's just not gonna I mean you know this is your first record on a major it's not yeah. gonna happen and I was like oh of course understood like I don't know why we're having yeah. this conversation I wasn't even thinking about it and then yeah then it happened organically and yeah. I think that made it more special Right, at the end right. Of the day. You know, again, I kind of, you know, grew up in when we first started making records, it was CDs, vi in, and some vinyl and stuff like that. Now, 
it's all like playlists and song and singles and all that. And to a certain degree, I love it. I love that I can pick up my phone and and listen to anything. Um, but yeah. are you are you a, a Spotify like playlist kind of person? Is that how you or or whichever app? Or do you still like listen to albums? I'm on Spotify, but I don't do playlists. I, I it doesn't. I don't like that choppiness of like, who am I listening to right now? I was just listening to, uh, yeah, yeah. like I love the cohesive nature of listening to a record. Cause I want to know what people, I don't know. I want to know what people have to say from yeah. first chapter to last chapter of the book. You know, I also miss liner notes so bad. I do too. I, I always want to know. Notes. I mean, I end up just like looking up the album and trying to figure it out, but I just used to love staring at, who played what, the artwork that goes to. I mean, I feel like artwork with music is such an interesting co- thing to pair, you know? Totally. And like, I mean, of course you see little things now, but, um, and I also want to know who's playing everything. I want to know Spotify who's producing. Spotify should include that. Yeah. Spotify should just have that. It would be like, easy. Very accessible. Yeah. Totally. That makes me upset. Like I, you know, I just feel like there's so much room for improvement and there's so much like that is sort of lost right now. And, and that makes me bummed to come from a place of appreciating records that, you know, come from 40 to 30, 50 years back to now feeling like I'm here and trying to make music in this age. And it's just like, can be discouraging sometimes, you know? For sure. For sure. Especially I think for people like behind the scenes, like writers and producers, I mean, not that, you know, if I'm working with an artist that I need to be seen, but it's also That's like, true. you know, uh, it's so, no one ever knows anymore, like who's behind things, unless you actively, you know, are looking it up. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I, I think maybe the artist isn't, you know, necessarily the victim as much, especially if they're doing well. It's, it's, it's the people who are, who are working, you know, their asses off behind the scenes yeah. it's like where's their yeah where's their paycheck i know I well, that's know, the thing is know? there's not a lot of money for those people anymore no. either and not a lot of credit you know because back but 10 times more work yeah, usually yeah a lot more work yeah that's kind of crazy are there any um particular artists or albums like current or, or recent that you've been listening to that kind of that you love or have inspired you in some sort of way I've been listening to a ton of recent albums. Oh, that record called Promises. Okay. Is that what it's called? It's by, um, his last name is escaping me, but his first name is Pharaoh. Oh. Saxophonist. Oh, Pharaoh Sanders. Yes, that just came out. Yes, I haven't listened yet. I saw that that just came out. Yeah. I've just been like listening to that because right now, sometimes hearing lyrics is a little bit. um, Mm, Okay hard like i just love listening to instrumental music at the moment so i've been listening to that ever since it came out very non-stop cool so beautiful you'll love it i think okay i just wrote that down that i have to listen to that yeah i think it's promises i hope i didn't botch that no i know the one you're talking about so if you during um this crazy year that's been happening have you been creating a lot of music you've been recording and writing yeah, I've been doing a lot of both and more recently in the last two months. But like last year, I did a lot of writing. I'm still still writing and still working on a sec- my second record, which is yeah. really exciting. Oh, and really you, re- fun. you released a single, uh, Broken Harvest. Just Did that just come out or am I a little late? No, it came out um, beginning of February, I okay. think. Yeah, so yeah. recently. And that that was kind of a detached, like nomadic single that was for like this project cool. so it's not necessarily i don't think it's going to be on the record i don't think but yeah it was fun cool. to release something yeah yeah no i love um, that track it's, thanks yeah i wasn't sure if that was a part of of the album so now you're you're making an album right now you're making you're you're like in the midst yes exactly cool. in the midst so we, we're not quite sure when it's going to come out yet um just because everything is so up in the air so we're just trying to roll with the punches, but yeah. yeah, we'll see. We're also just trying to, you know, we just want the record to be right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Uh, 
it's hard. It's fun though. It's so exciting. I, I love, I think I love creating a record more than I love touring. Oh yeah. It's so exciting. I def- I'm without a doubt like that. Uh, love like, it like making the records that's that's everything to me there's something there's like totally. listening to playback after you've like recorded a song that you're really proud of is Ooh. could be the best feeling I think it is yeah. I think it's like it, the feeling to me is like you get in your car and like you turn it on and you're excited and you just drive faster and faster and faster yeah. <laughs> until you're over the speed limit and you're just I like, was just telling I, my my friend who's uh, Joe Otis McDonald is his his stage name. He's actually the one that introduced me to your music, and he, oh, wow. he produced my record or we co-produced my record that we just fin- It's like coming out in, in the fall. It's taking a while, but we finished it. And I was telling him one of the mixes he sent me. I totally missed my exit to my house and ended up like in an, <laughs> in like Altadena or like La Cunada That's or something. Amazing. And he, I was I was like, man, that mix was so good. I ended up two towns over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like bumping that. it and cruising. Um, but are you are you like in the midst? So in the midst of making an album, are you just like listening? Are you listening to the demos? Listening to the rough mixes constantly? Doing a lot of that. I've I've been doing a lot of demos from my house like starting it there and then yeah like taking certain pieces of it and recording over it it's it's been a lot of just like kind of mulling over the same songs which is so different from the way that we did it last time like last time we recorded the whole thing in nine days and it was done yeah yeah which i actually kind of love that feeling a little bit more yeah to be like what's done is done we did our best and we worked hard for nine days and now we release yeah you know? it's over See, that's the thing I, I've been loving that I this record I made did all of my parts like in my studio, which was awesome because I had my guitars and my pedals and all my fun things. And then he did his parts in his studio and then we went back and forth. But it was like this thing where we could endlessly change things and endlessly work on it. Totally. Like it's totally different than like, you know, me in the past being in a band where it's like you, the band goes in the studio, you record it, you go home. This was kind of like, oh, well, we could do this. We could do this. We could do that. And it was endless. And it's like you could, you can end up, you know, driving yourself insane. I know. I, I think I'm a little bit in that territory right now and I'm trying to get out of it. So taking days off has been good because otherwise I'll just get in there and like, I just want to tweak and I want to like, I want to sculpt and I want, you know, but there's such thing as overworking a record. I've heard those records and you're like this, this one was um, strangled alive. I think. Well, I think you have, you know, you having the ability to perform so well by yourself um. Yeah. That that you should do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you should do yeah. that as much as you can. Of course, don't don't like stunt the growth of of you as a producer. But I think that's yeah. also like. So, are you um technical in terms of like? Are you recording? Do you record stuff at home and and engineer your own stuff and all that? Yeah, I I'm technical to a point. Like I I know how to engineer to a point, uh, but I'll do a lot of it at home and I yeah. enjoy it. And I think, but having someone like Tyler there and engineering and, and we'll just kind of like both, tr- you know, give ideas to each other and we'll try things out. That's more exciting to me than me just being on my own. Right. Right. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's an interesting, it's been a very interesting process to, to also create, you know, in the age of COVID and try and, figured out but it's been it's been a really good like really good learning experience and 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 the basics are nothing else matters except the song and is the song good then everything else will fall into place you know yes i agree i agree that's the mission (laughs) well i can't wait to hear the new record and um thank you so much for hanging out with me and doing this Thank you for, this really made my day. This is a bright spot, so thank you. Uh, That's what we try to do. Um, Well, I hope I can see you perform live soon. It seems like things might be kind of getting open, as long as people don't go too crazy. Um, They might be. Yeah, (laughs) right. Um, But I I hope that I can see you uh, in person one of these days and see you perform. Same. Please come come on by whenever that happens and yeah. meet in person. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you, Eric. Have a good one. <laughs> thank you, Maddie. We'll talk Bye. soon. Bye. Bye. I want to thank Madison for being on the show. 
So cool to meet her and talk with her. Before we go, I'm going to play one of my favorite tracks that I discovered during quarantine. This one is off of her album, Who Are You Now? And it's called Pin It Down. Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kras. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. 
Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Osiris.